Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. Thanks for joining us today as we continue our family Bible studies in the Gospel of Matthew. We're in Matthew 13. Matthew 13 is talking about parables and parables of the church. And the two parables we're talking about today, the first, the parables of the wheat and the tares, that's kind of an old-fashioned title for that parable. It's sometimes called the parable of the wheat and the weeds. And then the second parable, a short one, but powerful one, the parable of the dragnet. Now, in Matthew 13, kind of the heart of the gospel is a major teaching section in the Gospel of Matthew, and it contains seven parables of the kingdom of heaven. And so we have to ask ourselves, what is this kingdom it's talking about? It's important, or otherwise we're going to have parables and we're going to insert our own thoughts over those parables and miss the point. So what is the kingdom these seven parables are talking about? Now, first of all, you think I'm going to be contradicting myself, but the kingdom of heaven doesn't mean that the kingdom is in heaven. And you think, what? The kingdom of heaven must be in heaven. No, it is not. The kingdom of heaven is not in heaven. Why is that? Well, okay, Matthew, a Jewish man, writing from what we know from the early church fathers, wrote a Hebrew type of gospel, a gospel particularly for Jews who are embracing Jesus as the Messiah. And there are those, particularly from the early church, who say that Matthew originally wrote in Hebrew, and then it was translated to Greek, and then finally we get it into English. And I'm, I'm thinking that very much could be the fact, but the reason, and it's a very simple reason, why Matthew says the kingdom of heaven, whereas the other gospel writers say the kingdom of God, is that the Jews had a very high respect for the name of God. Even expressing the name of God in a pious way, they try to avoid it and have some kind of substitute word. So in, in, in order to express the kingdom of heaven in a very reverence Jewish way, Matthew simply says the kingdom of heaven. But when he does so, he's not talking about you know, by and by kingdom, he's talking about how the Messiah's kingdom would be affecting life on earth, and that's real important. Now, the second thing we need to know about this, and this is real important for everyone, in case you're wondering what church you should be joining, in case you're kind of um, some Protestant friends call church shopping. You might want to pay attention to this. If you're a Catholic, pay attention to this. If you're going to study the New Testament off in a, a Christian college of any type and your professor is going to tell you the Gospel of Mark was probably written first, pay a lot of attention to this. We're going to go to Matthew 16, and again, we want to talk about what in the world is the uh, gospel talking about when it mentions the kingdom. 
In Matthew 16 and verse 18, Jesus says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the powers of death shall not prevail against it. The next verse, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. This is the only place in the Gospels, the only place where you find this conjunction of Peter, Jesus's church, and the kingdom of heaven all put together. And by the way, a very highly respected Protestant theologian pointed that out to me uh, a few years before I discovered the Catholic faith. But here, we're talking about, again, the only place in the Gospels, and it's from the lips of Jesus, he's basically joining the authority that he's giving to Peter regarding his church, and then how do I express the authority that he gives Peter in the church? He gives him the keys to the kingdom of heaven. That's the church. Just like when your son or daughter gets 16 and you want to let them use a car, you give them that authority, you give them the keys. And there's a multitude of modern biblical scholars who all say that Mark was written first. And behind that is a theory that some people want to avoid just what I read to you, Matthew 16. The early fathers said Matthew was first. That's why when you turn to the New Testament, Matthew is first. Why? It was written first. It probably wasn't even written in Greek. But to try to erode the authority of Matthew, they say, well, this part of Matthew, Matthew 16, showing the idea that the church and the kingdom are the same thing and the authority is given to Peter, how are we going to avoid that? Well, let's say Matthew was written far, far later than Mark, and, you know, the disciples were very pious men, and they just added this stuff. Jesus never said it. And that's New Testament theology, unfortunately, and it's the, quote, best of the New Testament scholarship in the modern world, and a lot of it, it's just read the early fathers. It's pretty clear what's going on. Okay, so we've learned two things. The kingdom of heaven isn't in heaven. It's on earth. And two, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, has a whole lot to do with the church that Peter has given authority over. And by the way, I must mention, I, I was keen on the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, before I became a Catholic. As I mentioned, uh, a a very highly respected Protestant theologian pointed out to me this conjunction in Matthew 16. So I knew that the church and the kingdom had a lot to do with each other. And so then I became a Catholic, finding this church that Matthew 16, 18 is talking about. And I went around and was asking Catholics, what do Catholics believe about the kingdom? I don't know. I'd ask theologians, what do Catholics believe about the kingdom? I don't know. I went to Catholic conferences and asked the speakers, what do Catholics believe about the kingdom? I don't know. Well, thankfully, we now have the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which I didn't have. 
Section 763. This is really important stuff because this is stuff that's challenged in a way that people don't realize that the rug's being pulled out underneath them and they would be able to see the church, understand the church, and find the church so much easier and get your New Testament squared away. But in Catechism 763, this is what it says. The Lord Jesus Christ inaugurated his church by preaching the good news. Now, here's an essay question that probably nine-tenths of many people would flunk. What is the gospel about? Oh, it's about this, it's about this, and it's about that. The gospel is about, and this is what it is, the good news is the coming reign of God. The reign of God is another way of talking about the kingdom of God, king's reign. That's, That's what the church is all about to proclaim the gospel. And a lot of people have, we've kind of separated the idea of a kingdom because we're not living in one. We don't have a lot of conceptions of one. And here, the good news is the reign of God and to fulfill the Father's will, Christ ushered in the kingdom of heaven on earth. This is right in the catechism. The church is the reign of Christ already present in mystery. Wow. Um, this is, we're making some headway here. And, you know, to understand biblical prophecy, just a little side note, just it, this would have saved me 20, 25 years of searching, is that the Amil position, which basically means a present kingdom, is right here in section 763. The church is the reign of Christ already present in mystery. In other words, if I had had the catechism and it helped me pull together Matthew 16 as well as Revelation 20, it's right here. This is the essence of what's going on. And just in case you miss it, Catechism 865 says similar things. The church is ultimately one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic in her deepest and ultimate identity because it is in her the kingdom of heaven, that is, the reign of God, already exists and will be fulfilled at the end of time. Now, you don't have to be a Catholic to understand this, because there are many, I would say, more traditional Uh, Protestant groups who follow St. Augustine's teachings regarding the nature of the kingdom. But I will say this, uh, if you miss the Catholic Church, the probability is much higher that you'll miss the presence of the current kingdom, reign of God. You could even read the four Gospels and miss the essence of of what they're trying to proclaim, that Jesus Christ is king on earth in this age. And it's not sometime in the future. It's something that's here and now. And yet, uh, the I would dare say the most popular view of the future, the view of the kingdom, is what's called 
premillennialism, I know it's a big word, pre-mill means that Christ will return, the second coming, and then the millennium will begin. The millennium is the kingdom reign of Jesus. In other words, it's something we look forward to, but it's not here. And yet Jesus in Matthew 13, they come up to him after he gets done talking about the parable of the sower and the seed. He says, Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? And he says, to you has been given the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And, and then he goes, that's why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they don't see and hearing they don't hear or understand. And this is central to the message of the Gospels, of the New Testament, of the reign of God, and this is what we want to dig into. Now, we're going to get to some pretty serious topics because this next parable, after the parable of the sower, is the parable of the wheat and the weeds. And what happens, fairly simply, is that the, the king goes out, Jesus is, is, has a field, and sows good seed, wheat. And at night, when everybody's sleeping, an enemy comes, which is Satan and his co-workers, and sows weeds in the midst of the wheat. Now, I have a garden going right now. And actually, my garden, you wouldn't have any need of discernment because the weeds are pretty obvious. There's too many of them. I got to get to work. But these weeds are a particular kind of weeds. Probably they were what's called darnel. And darnel is lookalike wheat. In other words, the good wheat was planted, and then the enemy comes, sneaks in, and plants counterfeit wheat right among the wheat. And so the servants of the king, that's us, we're Christians, we should be servants of the king, say, do you want us to go and yank out the fake stuff? You know, thinking like, who, who would want that in the, in, in the midst of the wheat growing? And Jesus says, no, we don't want to do that. Because in doing so, you might be yanking up the good stuff because they look alike. It's a good counterfeit. And only towards the end of the age will things begin to become super obvious. You see, the Darnell, as it's reaching maturity, it then becomes distinct from the wheat. During the whole course of the growing season, which we call the church age, the two grow together and look very much alike from the outside. But at the end of the age, let me grab my Bible here. This is what Jesus said we can expect to go on. He says, at the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are the angels. And he says, as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man, Jesus, will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom. 
Now, here is why I spent all of that time to very carefully define what we're talking about. His kingdom is on earth. His kingdom at this moment in history, the reign of God is being expressed through his church. And it says he will gather out of his kingdom, the church, the reign of God in this age, and all causes of sin and evil doers and throw them in the furnace of fire, and there men will weep and gnash their teeth, and then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, this is shocking because many people, many Catholics, and and those outside the church are scandalized because there's problems inside the Catholic Church. Well, the first person to point this out is not some internet commentator in 2023. No, Jesus Christ was the first one to point this out. The kingdom, okay, is like this field with good wheat growing, and then at night, the enemy sneaks in and has counterfeits all over the place. And you know, I had this tendency as an evangelical, you want to have kind of a, a pure church and, you know, you don't want to have kind of a mixed multitude amongst you. So um, sometimes might you get a little too much of a hair trigger trying to sort things out. Who are the really true Christians and who aren't? And Jesus says, no, let's take it easy here because in my field, the two need to grow together. But at the end of the age, it's going to become real apparent. And there's two eternal destinies for those in the church. That's the point that Jesus was making in the church. And why do I say that? We defined what the kingdom is, and I gave you two sections of the catechism and two verses in Matthew 16 to show the kingdom and the church in this age are talking about the same thing. By giving the keys to the kingdom to Peter, he was giving him authority in the church. And here Jesus is warning, there's going to be counterfeits in the church. So don't be all shocked that I got to bail out of the Catholic church, or I'll never become a Catholic because there's imperfect people in there. Well, Jesus said that. And where does the devil target his attack? Well, it's the church where Peter has the keys. So should we be surprised? No, not whatsoever. Now, I'd like to get at a notion, okay? And first, I'm going to pick on Protestants just a little bit, some Protestants, not all, okay? And then we'll talk about Catholics. Many times, Catholics criticize, and I believe rightly so, because other Protestants do believe this as well, particularly people who, like, Lutherans and other good Protestants who read something like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, he, he said, there's no, no such thing as a, a mess around loosey-goosey Christianity. It's the real deal, and a Christ is Lord, you obey him. Well, Catholics and other Protestants of a sober mindset criticize the widespread Protestant notion of once saved, always saved, meaning that if you profess uh, faith in Jesus Christ as Lord, King, and Savior, 
you are eternally saved no matter how you live after that fact. This sounds bizarre, but it's very widespread. And a Catholic would hear that uh, like you might not be able to theologically refute that. (laughs) You know, that's way off base. Okay, that's wrong. Uh, And you can see right here that, okay, both are growing together in the church. But at the end of the age, the counterfeit, those who are evildoers, are yanked out and thrown into hell's fire for all eternity. And sorry for those who don't believe there's going to be any eternal hell, but Jesus happened to think so. Just read the Gospels. Okay. But what about Catholics? I think Catholics have a once saved, always saved uh, notion. And they don't express it like that, but it goes like this. Once a Catholic, always saved. In other words, once you become a part of the Catholic Church, you're good to go. Uh, Keep your membership active. Show up for Mass on Sunday. No matter how you live the rest of the week, that's okay. Once a Catholic, always saved. And, And, you know, there's a lot who fall into that notion, not realizing that Jesus in the parable of the wheat and the weeds is warning that there's two destinies for those in his church. And they're growing together, and and sometimes people think, oh, so-and-so's super holy, and so-and-so's, you know, falling on his face all the time, or she's falling on her face all the time, and who knows how it all sorts out. And Jesus leaves it to the angels, in which I'm very glad he does, not other <laughs> church members, but there's two destinies for church members. And you might say, well, this is just an anomaly. No, it isn't, because just in case you missed it, Jesus follows up the parable of the wheat and the weeds with the parable of the dragnet. And it's towards the end of chapter 13, Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven. Now, what are we talking about? We're talking about the church on earth is like a net, a fishing net, which was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it is full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good, the good fish, into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous, the evil from the righteous that are in the church. We're not talking about the atheistic college professor out there. We're talking about church members and they will throw them into the furnace of fire, that's the bad fish, and there men will weep and gnash their teeth. This is very sobering. And evildoers are those who are cast, and I should emphasize, unrepentant evildoers, because a truly repentant heart, far as I can tell, Jesus forgives. Now, This notion, as long as I get myself in the Catholic Church, or if you're a Lutheran, I'm a member of the Lutheran Church, or Presbyterian, or Pentecostal, or Baptist, whatever, um, there's going to be a big sorting at the end of the age among Christians. Here's a lecture given by Joseph Ratzinger back in 1958, long before he became Pope Benedict XVI, and it was a very 
eyebrow-raising, hair-raising lecture that he gave entitled The New Pagans and the Church. He goes, quote, the so-called Christian Europe, and you might say Christian United States just as well, for almost 400 years has become the birthplace of a new paganism, which is growing steadily in the heart of the church and threatens to undermine her from within. The outward shape of the modern church is determined essentially by the fact that in a totally new way, she has become the church of pagans. She no longer, as she once was, a church composed of pagans who have become Christians, but a church of pagans who still call themselves Christians, but actually have become pagans. Paganism resides today in the church herself, and precisely that is the characteristic of the church of our day and of the new paganism. It is a matter of a paganism in the church and of a church in whose heart paganism is living. Now, what to do? One, don't get shocked by evil in the church. Here, Father Ratzinger, before he became Pope Benedict XVI, clearly recognized this. This is the teaching of Jesus. There would be problems in the church, and as you approach the end of the age, it becomes more intense. So don't be scandalized and jump ship because this is something Jesus talked about. But what to do about it, okay? Uh, There's what's called the new evangelism, and I think there's a lot of different definitions of this, but the real task is to evangelize those pagans in the church that maybe show up a couple times a year, or maybe show up every week and are still living like pagans. They need to hear the challenge from Jesus. They need to hear what we've just been talking about this broadcast. So we want to be able to share with our friends and our neighbors, and one way to do it is with two simple parables from Matthew 13, the parables of the wheat and the weeds and the parable of the dragnet, and that Jesus means what he says, and the counterfeits, the phonies who aren't living the life, it's time to change and go to confession. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 451 of Faith and Family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.